0: Glory to God, how is everyone today? All right, we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, which states, do nothing out of selfishness, or selfish ambition, or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset in Christ Jesus That all, at that at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of
1: God the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Q. Thank you so much. You guys may have a seat. Powerful prayers for weak people. That's the series we've been in. Specific, uh, uh, practical prayers that we can be praying each week. We've covered a lot of them. Thank you, different clicker. Uh, We've covered a lot of them so far. Uh, We're going to take this up until July 23rd. Next week uh, is Bill Meyer. He's going to be actually preaching on boldness. God grant me boldness and um, that's a prayer that uh, you guys got to be here for. You got to be here for that one. The following week we're going to talk about send me and then on July 23rd, not sure yet. After that we'll be jumping into the book of Proverbs. Now for today, it's kind of be a little bit of a continuation of last week. Last week was search me. We asked God to search my heart. Show me what's going on inside. This was from uh, Psalm 119. How many people prayed this prayer this past week? You asked God. You were more intentional about saying, God, show me what's going on inside my heart. Okay. Okay. There were four big areas that we talked about asking God to search us for. Pride. Where am I driven? By Pride. Show me where I'm driven by pride. Fear the, fears and anxieties, where am I controlled by the fears and anxieties? Where am I reacting out of fear and anxiety instead of trust, which overlaps with lies? Where am I stuck believing lies about God? Lies that maybe he's not good, that he's not in control, that he's not sovereign, that he can't redeem this. And then finally, what idols am I clutching? Am I, what idols am I chasing? What idols am I clinging to? I kind of want to continue this and drill down a little bit uh, especially into pride because um once God shows us what's going on in our heart we can confess it but repenting of it is sometimes a process and it can be difficult and sometimes it can feel like something has a hold on us and we can't just uh, Change our mindset. We can't just decide Oh, I'm just gonna believe that God's good because I haven't really been believing that in this particular area of my life It can be a process and so we're gonna drill down a little bit more uh, Especially with pride and I want to I want to show you where uh, these things first entered the the human struggle and that's in Genesis chapter 3, where humans fell into sin, into brokenness. The world entered into the curse. Um, Adam and Eve basically were guilty of these four things. And I want to kind of show you in Genesis chapter 3. By the way, the passage that Q just read from, it's going to be a while before we get there. It's a little bit different of a structured sermon today. Uh, might, might seem odd to you, um, but try to, try to follow along. So right now we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you how these four things were active in this scene where the human beings fell into sin. Here we go. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, and from any tree in the garden? So all of a sudden, he sneaks up and he is whispering A lie. It's an exaggeration. God didn't say you can't eat from any tree. He said one tree. But he's already exaggerating, making it sound worse. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So she's engaging with him, talking with him. He responds, you'll not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God's withholding from you. That's what he's saying. There's something that you can gain from eating from this tree. He's withholding from you. You're missing out. And then when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then they fell, and then it says that they, their eyes were open, they realized they're naked, they sew fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. This is a big contrast to how chapter 2 of Genesis ended, which said they were naked and felt no shame. They had peace, they, it it was, the sun was shining warmly on them in that garden, and now it grew cold, and they feel exposed, and they feel vulnerable, and they feel weak, and they try to cover up with fig leaves. And then the story goes on. They, they Adam blames her, and then she blames the serpent, and, and they're pointing fingers, and they're, uh, you know, the, the, the woman that the man was so happy about, he's blaming God for forgiving him. There's a lot we could go into in this passage. And We did a sermon series a few years ago called in the beginning which was a six-week series on Genesis 1 to 3 It's on our website if you want to check it out But for our purposes today, I just want you to see how those four categories from last week were active in this story So first of all, there was a lie God is holding out on you. He is not being good to you There's something you can gain and God doesn't want you to have it. They believe that lie Then there was fear. This is the first example of FOMO Fear of missing out. If I obey God, I'll miss out on having more. More of what I deserve. All right? There's, there's, there's more to be had. I don't want to miss out on it. Pride. Right? Pride gets, Ill, gets, gets triggered. I can be like God, and I deserve to be like God. We can have this. And then finally, idolatry. The fruit. The fruit gets elevated. The fruit will give me access to the life that God has been withholding from me. As good as life is now, it can be better, and it will be better by grabbing hold of this fruit. That's that's how things become an idol. If I go after this, if I clutch this, if I cling to this, I can get what God is not giving me right now. But that the foundation of it is pride. Pride makes God small, and it makes ourselves, our need for approval or praise, our need for control, it makes that big. But pride is always at the root of every sin that we commit. Pride is what has infected the human race ever since. And this scene, this scenario in the garden plays out a million different ways across the globe. Since that time, since that day, in every time, in every space, in every culture, in every single human heart, this is what we do. We get afraid of something in this broken world. And our pride says, you figure it out. You grab hold of it. You fix it. God won't take care of you. And then oftentimes in our efforts to, to, to fix it in our own strength, we grab an idol. We chase after an idol, as we talked about last week. So the prayer that we're going to talk about today is, help me die to pride. If you prayed, searched me this past week, and God revealed pride, then the next thing is, help me die to it now. Help me put it to death. Help me kill it. Now why do I use violent words like death and kill? Because the Bible does. Because the Bible does. Romans 6, 11, the Apostle Paul says, "...in the same way count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus." Dead to sin. Count yourself. Consider. When we trust in Jesus, first of all, it's an act of humility to say, I can't save myself. I need a Savior to come in, to rescue me, to pay for my sins, to change me. Right? That's why we're doing this series. I can't change myself, God. I need your help. But Jesus cuts away our pride. He breaks the power that our flesh has over us. He breaks its power, and yet— you ever see a—maybe ch- uh, you didn't see it, but, you, you, you know, you, you're aware that sometimes when a chicken gets its head cut off, it kind of flaps around a little bit? That's kind of what our flesh is doing. It's been killed when we trust in Jesus. It's been buried, what baptism represents. And yet, our mind, will, and emotions have been trained by our flesh, and so it's still flapping around a little bit. Troubles come, and it starts to flap around. Somebody ticks us off, and it flaps around, Right? And so Paul says, count yourself dead to sin every day. I'm going to do that flap all throughout the sermon, just so you remember. You say, stop, stop flapping. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. In Romans 8, he says this, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Put to death, execute. This is violent language. We're not to make friends with our pride. We're not to say, well, you know, I'm prideful like everybody else and I guess it's okay, you know. No, we put it to death. Go to war with it. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Whatever pride is leading us to do, whether it's outward sins like drunkenness or sexual impurity, or it's inward sins like bitterness and jealousy, we put it to death. Help me die. Help me die. Pride keeps coming at us every single day tries to get us in its clutches tries to grab hold of us and it sucks us down and we saw this after adam and eve throughout the bible we see israel guilty of this when they ask god for a king they say they're like god you can't protect us you can't provide for us we need a king like the other nations the king became an idol and so they wanted to be like all the other nations of the world we see this with king saul the first king The the, the prophet Samuel said about him, You were once small in your own eyes. You were once small in your own eyes. May we be small in our own eyes. It's another way to pray this prayer. But then when he became king, his need for glory became bigger than his call to give God glory. He worried more about what people thought of him than obeying God with a full, faithful heart. We saw this with the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were so proud of their morality that they thought that they could be the judges, that they were on the judges' seat and they were saying, who's in, who's out, and the notorious sinners of the day were being given an X, not allowed in the kingdom of God, and we still see that today, don't we? Religious folks, even those who call themselves followers of Jesus, what do we do? We look at the most offensive sins of our culture, and we put a big X over those people, and we love to talk about them and how bad our culture is. And we often do it from a self-righteous, sometimes a mocking or a scoffing posture. And even if you're calling—we posted this on our Facebook this past week— even if we're talking about godly truths, if it's done in an ungodly way— God ain't happy with it. It's pride and it needs to be repented of. Pride keeps us from forgiving people who we should forgive. Because their hurts against us we have made so big. Everybody thinks that their hurts are especially hurtful. And and what we do is we make our hurts that, that have been done against us, committed by someone else, we say that person's offenses towards me are bigger than my offenses towards God. So God, I understand why you can forgive me, but I can't forgive this person. That's what we're doing, right? It's, it's, it's pride. It, we're also believing that their hearts are bigger than God's power to redeem those hurts. It's pride, and it keeps us choked like a like anchor tied to our feet at the bottom of the ocean. It's holding us down. We've got to cut it away. Pride keeps us from getting help when we need to get help. I was talking to a marriage counselor uh, a few years back who said that every— most couples who come to him are seven years too late. Or it's seven years later, maybe not too late, but seven years later than it should be. Think about that. Usually because, and my experience is at least one spouse is like, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Come on, come on, come on. We're good, we're good. We don't need that help. We don't need that counseling. We don't need all that nonsense. It's Pride. Pride keeps us from apologizing when we're waiting, because we're waiting for someone else to apologize first. Right? We do, we do this kind of ratio in our head, and we're like, all right, maybe I did a little bit wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have said this part. But that's like 10%. So I'll wait for them to do their 90%, and then I'll give their temp, my 10%. And then we kind of gauge their apology. Well, I wasn't really sincere, so I'm not going to give my 10% yet. Or, this is really sneaky pride, what we do is we actually boast in our apology. We'll, we'll apologize first, and then we'll tell our friends, oh, yeah, I apologize, but they didn't apologize to me. But I apologized to them, and I was so sincere, but they weren't sincere to me. We actually use our apology to one-up the other person. My kids were doing this yesterday. Two of my kids were arguing about who apologizes more and does it right. I was like, but we do it. We do it. Pride keeps us focused on and meditating on, listen, not just our accomplishments and what we're good at, but also our failures and our sins. We make a big deal out of our sins sometimes in our pride. We stay stuck in shame and wallow in our guilt out of pride. My sins are bigger than the cross of Jesus. My sins are so big that I know he paid for all you guys, but not mine. Like we, we actually think that our sins are this big and that they're so special. I was talking to somebody this past, well, recently, not in here, somebody recently, and um, they're 90 years old, and they said, I've been carrying a weight in my soul for 60 years. And they said that it's something that they did when they were 30 that has been weighing on them for 60 years, and they're a believer in Jesus. And I said, do you believe Jesus forgives you? And they said, oh, yes, I know he forgives me, but I can't forgive myself And I tried to be very gentle, and I said, but do you see what you're doing? You have said to Jesus, I'm taking the throne. I'm the ultimate judge, and I can't forgive myself. Your forgiveness is nice, but it's small. I'm the judge. And so she needs healing, but part of that healing is repenting of pride. If Jesus says he's paid for it in full, who am I to say, no. I don't believe that. Pride keeps us or causes us to hold on to and obsess over uh, idols in our life. We hold on to them because they give us a sense of identity. They, they, they um, make us, uh, give us a status. They give us an image before people. And so if we lose them, if we lose the job, if we lose the hobby, sometimes it feels like somebody has even died because we lost what makes us feel like we're worth something in the world. And that's pride. I want glory. What? Who God says I am is not enough. I need those people to say I'm awesome. I need to fit into that crowd. I need my boss to say this. We're making idols out of those things because in our pride we're saying, God, who you call me, your son, your daughter, beloved, righteous, redeemed, it doesn't matter that much. I need other people to tell me who I am. I need this hobby to tell me who I am. Two more examples. Pride keeps us worrying. One more example. One more example. Um, a few years ago, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, in the early days of true life, I used to get caught up worrying about being misunderstood. You know, um in our church, being a pastor, I, you know, I, I learned that as much as we talk against gossiping, people gossip. And if you're the pastor, people gossip about you. And, you know, something happens and then somehow people say, comes back and say, Chris, did you say? I'm like, no, I didn't say that. How did that get twisted around? You know, goes through the telephone. And, and I learned that. So I was like, oh, I got to clarify. And I got to fix this version. Right? And God convicted me. He said, that's you know, that's pride. You trying to f- fix versions and clear up misunderstandings. That in itself can be an idol, right? Always worrying about, well, who's saying what about me? And, blah, blah, blah. and it's, it's us worrying too much about being understood and having an image. And God convicted me. I was like, Zah, let them gossip about you. Let them gossip about you. Let them tell the wrong versions of stories. I got you. I'm big. I'm a big God. Relax. And I say, okay, okay, I'm going to put this to death I'm going to put this to death. If there's an opportunity to clarify, of course. But I can't make it the ultimate focus. So we pray, help me die. This is the prayer. Help me die to pride. Help me die to pride. Help me die to pride. Now that's kind of the main point, but I got, I got five sub points. Action steps. Walking this, walking this out. Um, that's the introduction, by the way. The introduction is longer than the rest. That's what I meant about it being an odd structure. I want to pray that at least one or two of these action steps would be something that you would grab hold of. Okay? So let me just stop and pray. Jesus. What we don't want, what I, I don't believe you want, is for anyone to walk out of here feeling guilty for their pride... And wallowing in that and focused on that our eyes should be fixed on you fixed on who you are your goodness your grace your power and as our eyes are fixed on you we will become smaller we will become small in our own eyes and I pray that we would see the freedom in that the joy in that the world says be big be big be big make a big splash get eyes on you and you say be small in your own eyes Let me be big. And there'll be a lightness, a freedom, a rest. So I pray that these five action steps that we talk about, that you would show all the men and women in here today, which one or two are ones for them to grab hold of. I I, I pray even for the volunteers in here, that they would be able to grab hold of one or two of these. I pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Here Here we go. Number one. Pray each morning for God to break your pride. This might be obvious, but actually take the time to do it. Take the time to, to look over your day coming up. Say, Lord, help me, help me. Help me not to react to pride. I'm going to be talking to this, this person who I'm, I'm a little hurt by. Help me not to speak out of, out of pride. Help me out, not to react. They might say something that bothers me. Help me not to react out of pride. Lord, I just had this, this disagreement with my spouse, and I, I know I need to apologize, but I'm, I'm emotionally paralyzed. I don't know how to do it. Help me. Help my pride to die. Help me kill my pride so I can go walk in the love that you've called me to. So scan your day and ask God to help you die to pride. That's number one. Number two, confess your pride to others. Now, I was explaining to somebody this past week, they are in here, um, that we we don't confess uh, to be forgiven. We don't need to confess to another human being in order to be forgiven. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. He's the one. But the Bible does talk about especially in James chapter 5, that as we confess to each other, there is healing in that. There is, there is a healing that takes place when we experience the grace of God through another human being, the body of Christ. And so um, what we often do in the church is we, we will confess a struggle, and we will confess why that's a struggle, but we don't often get to the pride that's underneath it. So for example, we might say to someone, um, I, I need to forgive so, so somebody in my life, but I'm having trouble doing that. Because they hurt me so much. Can you pray that I can forgive them? But we need to go to the next step and go, and, and I'm not forgiving them because I'm being prideful. Because I'm taking my hurt and making it bigger than it needs to be. I'm taking the offense towards me and making it bigger than my offense towards God. Or whatever the case may be. So we need to take that next step and confess to pride. It'll help break the power of it. If, we, if we're praying, number one, help me die to pride... Sometimes confessing to someone else, putting it out there, helps it die. That's number two. Number three, receive prayer today. We're going to have some people on our prayer team available on, on either side as we have some response time and, and some worship. And, and if you need to be prayed over, if you have identified, if God over the last week or so has identified an area where you're stuck in pride, where you're driven by pride, where pride is causing you to chase after an idol, receive prayer. Receive prayer. Again, there's something powerful when the body of Christ can pray for each other. Uh, number four, sign up for an inner healing session with Pastor Rigo. Um, many of you guys don't know this. It, it, we talk about it on our website, and you can look that up. But Pastor Rigo does this inner healing sessions where he'll sit down with somebody. It's not counseling, but, but just kind of go, okay, what's, what's, what's affecting you right now? And kind of trace that back to maybe some past hurts or maybe some past wounds and identify lies about God, these things that we're talking about. And then it will pray through them with you. And, and again, sometimes praying with somebody in an extended session, in an extended time, m- more than on a Sunday morning, can help break its power. I'm going to read a testimony from somebody who uh, did one of these sessions with Rigo last year. And um, so we had time to see the fruit of it. It wasn't like right away, right? Uh, um, it was, we had a year, over a year to see the fruit of that. And I want to read this testimony. Rego's healing ministry was so powerful at a time in my life where I was not only feeding my flesh, but also being attacked by some outward circumstances, I had made some pretty terrible choices. God made it very clear that he wanted me to fast for a period of time and finish it off meeting with Rigo for a healing session. During the session, Rigo asked me some questions, determined some strongholds, trying to take me down, and prayed over me like I have never been prayed over before. By the end of it, with tears pouring down my, out of my eyes, it was so evident that not only was God present, but he did something— there was a lightness I felt after having walked in with such heaviness. It's been almost a year and a half since then, and God's work in my identity, and showing me the authority he's given me, has been constantly revealing itself, and I look back to that deliverance session as a truly pivotal experience. For anyone who is struggling, I would recommend looking into this. Sometimes we need to dig deep to get to our roots before we can truly live out our best versions that God calls us to be, and I believe our healing ministry takes us there. So if you're interested in that, finding out more about that, you can fill out one of our connect cards. Okay, so that's number four. And then the last one. Meditate on the humility and exaltation of Jesus. And so that takes us around to Philippians chapter 2, where Q read from. Um, We're going to have, we're going to receive communion at the end of service. And our communion is a reminder of what Jesus did for us. And so as I walk through this passage in our last few minutes, um, see it as preparation for receiving communion together. What this means, what we're remembering, what we're gazing upon, what we're meditating on. Because as we meditate on that, as we remember that, it has the power to crush our pride. Okay, so let's, let's walk through this. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. The Apostle Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So don't do anything out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. Don't do anything in order to be recognized, in order to be celebrated, in order to gain glory for yourself. It's okay if you are appreciated, it's okay if you are celebrated, but don't do it in order to be. Don't preach in order to gain glory. Don't sing on a worship team. Don't w- serve at church in order to get pats on the back. You're so awesome. Don't do it for that reason. But rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves. In your relationships with one another, pride has a, a way of uh, being exposed in our relationships with each other. That's why we tend to feel more godly when we're alone, right? When we're hanging out by ourselves, or we're just chill, we're kind of cloistered off to everybody else, we feel a lot more godly. We feel like things are good. People have a way of ticking us off, and then, you know, we blame them. God's just exposing our pride in our relationships. That's what was happening in the church of Philippi. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, okay? So this is where Paul's saying, put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Don't just try to be humble. That'll just lead to you being proud of your humility. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he's in very nature God. He is God. Jesus is God the Son. He's up in heaven. He had every right to say, I ain't going down there. They messed it up. They screwed it up. And yet the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, said, I'm going to relinquish my rights, and I'm going to Come down. Verse 7 Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he took humanity and put it over his deity. He didn't take off his deity, he added humanity to it. He uh, uh, lowered himself to the fragility of being a human, exposing himself to the elements of, of weather, being hurt by other people. And he didn't come as a 30-year-old strong warrior or political figure or rich person. He came as a baby, the weakest, the most vulnerable form of a human, born to a poor family, peasant family from a podunk town. And he grew, and he lived a life that we couldn't live. He became a servant. The God of heaven became a servant for us, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about that. Think about that. So he's obeying the Father. He lived a life in perfect obedience to the Father. Something we cannot do, something Adam and Eve failed to do in the beginning. They said, "Mm, God's holding on on us. We're going to take this our own way. Jesus, who had every right to be worshiped. In his earthly ministry, the, the devil came to him and said, you bow to me, you're going to have the kingdoms of the world. And he said, no, I'm doing this the Father's way. He stayed obedient. He stayed humble, even to the point of death. His death was obedience. It, in other words, it wasn't an accident that he got put on the cross. It wasn't just, he wasn't a victim of circumstances. He was being obedient to the Father, the Father's good plan. And it was a cross, even death on a cross, Paul is writing to the uh, church of Philippi. It was a colony of Rome. There was Roman citizens there. Roman citizens did not have to be executed through crucifixion. Crucifixion was the most shameful, excruciating form of execution. And Roman citizens didn't have to go through it, generally speaking. They could commit the worst of crimes, be guilty of the worst of crimes, and they could say, I don't have to be crucified, though. And yet the God of heaven, the innocent, spotless Lamb... Went lower and got on a cross, and that's what we're remembering with communion. His body—he he got in a body. He put skin on so that that skin could have nails pierced through it. He put on a body so that blood could be spilled like the Lamb of God, so we could take shelter under it. He gave up his rights. While he's on the cross, think about what might have been happening on the cross. The demon screaming in his ear, get down from here. You don't have to be on the cross. You shouldn't have to take this. Look at them mocking you. Look at them spitting on you. Just break free. Show them who you are. And he stayed in his humility. And Paul says, have that same mindset. So as we've received communion, we're saying, okay, Jesus, I want to have that same mindset as you. Now thankfully, it doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. This passage doesn't end there. Therefore, therefore, because of what Jesus did, because he submitted himself, because he gave his body, because his blood was spilled, represented in what we're going to receive together today, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So God exalted him. There's a Greek prefix in there that has like a, it means hyper exalted or exaltedly exalted. God exalted him above all the exalted ones. Because he submitted. Because he went lower than humans are willing to go. Because he went lower than Roman citizens had to go, God exalted him to the most exalted place and gave him or bestowed upon him, gifted him with a name that is above every name. What is that name? It's actually not Jesus. Jesus is an earthly name. That's not the name he's talking about. He's not Messiah. Check it out. At the name given to Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name. He is given the title, the name of Lord. In Greek, it's Kyrios. It's the equivalent of Yahweh. It means rulership, ownership. Emperors were called Lord. Rulers were called Lord. Jesus is made Lord of lords, the king, the ultimate owner, the ultimate ruler. So God the Father, he he, he had him do this plan of, of humility, of being exposed to the human elements and killed and crucified, and then God the Father lifted him up. And now he says to the world, you do not come to me except through my son who bled for you, who died for you, who humbled himself for you, who gave up his rights for you. And who was exalted as Lord of lords, King of kings, the ultimate ruler. You cannot come to me any other way because of what my son went through for you. And so when we receive communion, we're saying, yes, I want to follow you in that path of, of humility, of dying to myself, of saying no to the, to the world's temptations, of making much of myself. I want to die to that because I believe that I will be exalted just like Jesus I will be exalted with Jesus. In part now, God covering us, taking care of us, redeeming and healing, but also in full when Jesus returns. We are going to reign with him on a new earth. So we cannot grasp for power now because we know I'm going to reign with Jesus one day. We can give up our need to have things be fair now because we know one day, one day, we get the world. We get the world. So we can die to our pride knowing in joy, in faith, in hope it leads to exaltation with Jesus. So let's stand. Band, come on up here. I'm going to ask if one or two people from our prayer team would be available on each wing over here on the outside of the speakers Bill and Christine would you be available? You could stand at the wing there. Anybody else from our prayer team, Pastor Rigos and kids, so he didn't get to tell me who who had said they'd be available. Okay, Scott, yeah, I want you grab that that's that side, that wing. So these guys will be available. Um, We're going to sing a little bit. If you want to be prayed over, these guys will be available. Is there a woman from our prayer team who could be available on this side as well? Thanks, Lisa. As we sing, let's invite God's Spirit to make Jesus so big. That our me-centeredness, our tendency to put me on the throne just gets crushed under the weight of our worship of Jesus. Do that, Lord. Do that. Our need to be appreciated, celebrated, in control. Oh, let it melt away as we worship you. God, I pray that anybody in here today who who feels a stuckness in any way, stuck in any way, that they would come receive prayer, that they would have the humility to come down front and not worry about what people are thinking. If there's anyone here who's never trusted in you, who's never given their life to you as Savior, I pray that they would do that today and come and be prayed for with our prayer team. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We'll receive communion in a few moments.